listening to Sci-Fi TV Rewatch, episode 441. My name's Dave, and I'm joined, as always, by my co-host, Wayne, as we continue our journey with season one of the Fox series Fringe. And just want to throw out the reminder that we typically record either Monday or Tuesday, so feedback needs to be in by Sunday night, Eastern Standard Time. So we are in the afterglow of the Christmas holidays. We've got New Year's on the horizon and a, a new Doctor Who. Uh, how's yours gone so far? Yeah, so far, so-so. I guess um haven't really done much. Um, you know, it's – while the, you know, the uh, Omicron variant is definitely raging in the States, but of course Americans are – to uh you know we we can't get together to actually take the steps needed to um uh, maybe i'm getting political here well i know it shouldn't be political it's a health issue right and you know the other day i was out shopping actually by where you live dave and uh not a person with a mask on in sight and this is as wow you know uh you know the hospital where you are is you know pretty much overrun and uh so uh, you know, out this way, at least people have masks on indoors, but it's still very limiting and um, of what we're we're doing, want to do, can do. Um, so while you know maybe the country at large is not uh, necessarily taking this seriously, we we're trying to take it a little serious, especially with older parents and everything that um, mm-hmm. you know trying to do the right thing here. Um, as I think I mentioned before, I saw a T-shirt that perfectly encapsulates my opinion here is that it started as a virus and has mutated into an IQ test. And (laughs) I don't exaggerate, but anyway, let's get to uh, what we're watching. And this may surprise you a bit. You know, I did mention to you uh, last week about, you know, the matrix resurrections dropping, I think it was a December 22nd, maybe, and I thought, all right, I'm interested. I'm not a big movie guy, as I've said. But I went back and I did a complete trilogy rewatch. Oh, nice. And I did see Resurrection. Have you seen it yet? I did. Yeah, actually. Okay. Yeah, yep. And I know you said you had tickets to see it in the theater, so I'm, I'm sure that was pretty cool. But, you know, a few things strike me now that I've seen all four films, okay. you know, in the last few days is that while the first movie was really good, the second and third, not so much. And and I've said before, I'm not a big action movie guy. I mean, that's, I guess, why the superhero movies like Marvel and, and even DC, they just don't appeal to me because, you know, in a two-hour movie, I feel like 25% of it is just fighting and, right, and right. car crashes. And, and what, what really struck me as i'm watching the second and third matrix movie is that you know you this is like the third kung fu style fight scene we've had it's like did you just not have enough material to fill two hours so you decide to put another fight scene now i get that a lot of people a lot of people like this stuff right i'm just not one of them so You know, then I look at the fight scenes and, and and try to you know deconstruct that. They're pretty cheesy when you really get down to it. And I know everybody you know raves about you know how the Matrix changed the landscape for action movies. Well, okay, maybe they did. You know, there's that kung fu style. But as I was saying to my wife, it's like they look so fake when they're doing it. I mean, they don't even come remotely close to hitting the other person. And it's almost like they don't even care that you can tell they didn't come within six or eight inches of hitting the person. So as, as you've said about things taking you out of the story, that really takes me out. Sure. Okay. So now as far as resurrections go, I'm like, okay, uh, you know, the second and third movies were 2003. So I, I, I think, you know, the statute of limitations is long up. So if you haven't seen them, that's on you. Okay, Trinity and Neo die yes. in the third movie. So, okay, we know they're in this one. All right, okay, how are you going to 
handle that. And I thought it was pretty cool what they did with that. Yeah, certainly in, in, way in, less ridiculous than what they did in Wonder Woman 1984. But. Yeah, so I enjoyed the fourth movie, Resurrections. You know, again, I kind of like that you still really don't know what it is you really just saw. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, right. <laughs> I mean, is the Matrix real or is this just this you know psychotic construct that neo or thomas has has constructed in his mind we don't know and you know i I love that we see neil patrick harris in the movie he was awesome yeah nph i always like to see him around anyway what about you so yeah i you know i saw um resurrections um, I do have HBO, but uh, two guys that we used to work with, uh, you, know, you remember uh, Rick and Nick, and we used to kind of, you know, we'd go to movies together uh, when we all worked together um, before, and the other two now are principals at other schools. Well, I'm still a teacher back at River Hill, but, you know, that's not that's either here nor there. But uh, so Nick had said, hey, you want to go see Matrix? And we're like, sure. And then I realized, ah, it's on HBO, damn it. But it was actually really just a see a couple old buddies and everything. So, oh, yeah. yeah. Yeah, sure. So that was cool. And, you know, I um, I don't necessarily, I mean, obviously, I, I I don't really agree. I I see, I totally see what you mean by the action sequences being, like, fake. I just think that that's kind of, like, what they're going for, you know? Like, I think they're supposed sure, to yeah. be. But, yeah, a, a big fan of the Matrix movies, though, obviously, everyone who's seen them knows that, yeah, the second and third one, especially the third one, is is just not really very good. At all, the second one is still a pretty good movie. They're confusing as hell, so I, I would put Resurrections probably as the second best of the four Matrix movies. It was, you know, it's it. it the one thing about the Matrix movies is like how cool they are, right? Like all the the stylish clothes and the leather and the the hair cuts and everything that the the actors have when they go into the Matrix. Everyone has like a cool haircut now and everything. So, um, so stuff like that. I know that's not really like. You know, substantive. Um, it's stuff I kind of I enjoy about and everything. Um, also saw, took the family out to see Spider-Man No Way Home, and uh, which was cool. Uh, great, awesome movie. Uh, I, again, Dave probably you wouldn't. No, no. <laughs> significant amount of of, uh, of action and fighting going on there, but yeah, you know, like I don't know, just a really enjoyable story. I can't really talk about it all without spoiling spoiling anything about it. so i'm not literally not gonna say anything except that it was really love the spider-man movies and and this was a great uh i i, I know you've seen in, in the trailers i can say that alfred molina is in this is, is doc ock and uh it was cool to see him again and everything so uh, the last i so i've actually been watching movies recently not so much tv shows and so you know every now and then i'll uh you know in my my feed on my phone it'll, it'll show like oh you need to watch the most blank sci-fi movie ever you know or something like that so check it out and, and if it's something that looks interesting i add it to my queue and amazon or netflix um so i had this movie replicas uh have you ever seen or heard of replicas no not at all yeah well you shouldn't have and don't ever go see it. <laughs> okay. uh, it's uh again keanu reeves though which is to me you know like I'm, i like keanu reeves a uh, big fan and he plays a guy who's um you know who, whose family is killed in an accident so he basically clones them to uh and then takes their he has a way of taking their consciousness and uh saving it so he like takes their consciousness saves it uh, clones their bodies and then reinserts their consciousness. So, which sounds kind of cool, but it's really not. <laughs> uh, it was not a good movie. Uh, it was Alice Eve, is it? I remember from uh, Star oh, yeah, Trek. Sure. Yeah, yeah. So there, there's some solid actors. It uh, Thomas Middlemarch, I think, is is his buddy there. Um, again, so, you know, some some solid actors in there, but just the. You know, it's like a, like a, a great concept and everything, but just did not did not come off. So now I'm uh, I don't know if this is going to prevent me from uh, you know watching other movies I haven't seen before. Just assume the reason there's a reason I haven't seen this movie, right? It's not because it's a really good movie and I missed out on it, right? It's probably just the reason I haven't seen this movie because it's not very good. So 
Yeah. Thumbs down the replicas. All right. So quick shout out related to Matrix Resurrections. Jessica Henwick, who plays Colleen Wing in Iron Fist. She is Bugs in The Matrix. Yeah. Yeah, she was great. That was actually, now you mentioned, that was like bugging me. Forgive the Uh the word. (laughs) Um, The whole time because I'm like, ah, man, she looks... Like I, oh my God, she looks so familiar. And then, and then you say like, ah, yes, Jessica Henwick. So yeah, yeah. she was awesome. When, yeah, when you said the cool haircuts, I, I immediately flashed to that, and I, I mm-hmm. wanted to get that in there. But uh, all right, let's get to Fringe, season one, episode three, titled "The Ghost Network," written by David H. Goodman and J.R. Orsi, directed by Frederick E. O. Toye, aired September twenty third, two thousand and eight. You know, my first reaction about this episode is, is that I like it, but I don't love it. And, <laughs> you know, when we get to the grading time, I mean, look, it's a it's a good episode. There's no question. And, and I think what we have to consider is that when Fringe aired, this was the era of the longer season and Fringe's seasons were each 20 episodes. So the third episode of a 20-episode season, you know, they lay a lot of groundwork. They push the story forward. But I feel like it's more about character development and, and kind of fine-tuning the teamwork necessary to investigate the pattern. Yeah, and than, that's, that's a great point, Dave, because, um, you know, yeah, we are so used to, you know, eight, ten seasons that have to kill it each episode, right? Or, you know, people won't hit the button at the end of the episode to watch the very next episode, right? Yeah, you know, it, it, we, we do have to consider that when, when talking about some of these episodes is that, you know, it wasn't meant to, you know, ha- you know it, the, the next episode was coming a week later. You couldn't just click and watch it right away. So, you know, there, there, yeah. there is that to consider. Yeah, and you know we understand that the pattern is international, and that uh, you know I think he said in the first episode there have been forty-five incidents, something like that. So we're getting a a, a better look at what these cases are all about, and and of course in in this episode it's, it's a case that has similar details from an incident that took place in Prague a few years back. So you know again. The, there's a lot there but one of the things that that i think we have to look at in this episode one of the storylines on the minor side but will certainly have a greater impact and that's just what i'll call the bishops and we get that great scene where peter and walter are at breakfast and we learn that walter's making his own medications which (laughs) peter calls psychotics but uh, as gail will point out in her feedback not not really but i I guess for the sake of the narrative which on the other hand you wonder did they just not check that out or do they not care but i i think the key thing that happens though in this scene is when peter confronts that guy who's been photographing him all day and we get that that line that you were supposed to check in if you returned so who is this guy? I think it's safe to say he doesn't have anything to do with broils. I wouldn't think. No, I don't think so. You know, it, and it the seems pattern. like some other just completely outside shadow group here. You know that. Well, or or organized crime that that Peter right. owes money to, or owes a favor to, or or something like that. So but yeah, I so just certain, when I picture organized crime, I picture someone a little bit more threatening than just some dude with a camera. You know. Well, yeah, sure, but I, I guess the the point would be that he's going to send that SD card to somebody that's a lot more threatening than him. But but you seem like regardless, he was, he was part of the the threat, though. It seemed like his. You know, Peter was like, you know, I'll you know I'll come after you first or something like that. I can't remember exactly what he said. But, yeah, you know, yeah, sure. I was right, suggesting true. that A, that there's a group, and then B, that this guy who's taking his picture is directly involved with the, the group and everything. So, Right. So, you know, so we'll keep an eye on that because it doesn't seem to make sense that it has anything to do with the work he's doing with Olivia and Walter. But 
we then are back at the lab later on as as Walter and Peter are trying to figure out the source of the event. And we'll, we'll talk about the event in, in, in some detail, of course. But father and son are still working through their issues. And as soon as we're ready to maybe accept that Walter is still in his own little world, the fact that he tells Peter, what was the deal with the guy in the uh, diner? Because trust me, I noticed. And I think on on the one hand, Peter has to be a little bit surprised, but he, of course, just brushes it off for whatever reason. I mean, what's the point of explaining it to Walter really at this point? You know, yeah. You know, I mean, Walter's got enough on his plate with you know and whatever. The, yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, uh, you know, not to mention realigning himself, being out in the real world socially. Um, dude, right. yeah, well, I love it's just the, like stuff that you know. I guess it's like need to know or like you know, it's like well, yeah, Walter. Can't really help him with that. Uh, well, I sure. guess in, in Peter's view, right? So, what's the point of him being concerned about something that uh, you know he can't help me with or something? So, yeah. Now, I love the piano, and, and <laughs> I, I, that's one of those details that I had forgotten about. Yeah, yeah totally. Both, both Peter and Walter play well. Then all of a sudden, we're talking about you know the fact that Walter has figured out what's in the compounds, and oh yeah, the only place that you can get this stuff is wait for it, massive yeah. dynamic, and you saw that one coming from a mile away. Right, right. Um, and, and then back at at the end of the episode, we're back at the lab, and Peter's sitting at the piano, and, and I just absolutely love this scene because look, we're all shipping Peter. And Olivia and anybody that's not, I, I don't know what to say. Are we watching the same show? Uh, (laughs) Dunham, any requests? And I like the fact that he uses her last name rather than Olivia, because most of the time he does call her Olivia. I'm not exactly sure what to make of that. Using her last name almost is more intimate than using her first name, even though that doesn't necessarily make any sense but she suggests Bach he says too stuffy you need some jazz I'll take what I can get and then he plays someone to watch over me which I think is certainly very prophetic because you know we have a lot of people watching over people not the least of which what we learn in this episode and and we certainly kind of knew this anyway is that Broyles and Nina are clearly watching over Olivia and yeah. grooming her for something. Yeah. We, we don't know what at this point. Well, and that was but, great how they went right from the song that, you know, obviously very popular song. Everyone recognizes the tune. Um, and then they've, you know, cut right to that scene with Broyles and Nina, you know, someone to watch over me, as you said. And, and the, the, the very next scene are those two you know talking about olivia demonstrating how they are watching over her so that was really cool yeah and and they seem to have different i guess expectations of their relationship with olivia clearly Broyles doesn't trust nina you know her distrust of of Broyles isn't quite as pronounced but definitely you know something to uh to keep an eye on but you know that kind of leads us into the mystery that is nina sharp and the department of homeland security which is ostensibly who Broyles works for i mean i I guess the fbi as well that's that's been kind of you know cloudy at this point what do you think about john scott's funeral i mean did we really need that scene or am i kind of missing something I, th- I i mean we learned you, you that they're trying loop, to say do we need that scene because i'm like i'm not sure I didn't really think about that before. You know, is this scene really necessary? I, th- I think one thing that the scene, in, in an argument for yes, the scene is necessary, <clears throat> is we are completely aligned with Olivia on this, right? She's at the funeral. Uh, his mom is like eyeballing her, and we're like, you know, what's up with that? Uh, just the fact that they start folding up the flag and saluting her and everything, it's like, well, wait a second like this guy is not a patriot you know like this guy was was a he's a traitor right it's 
when Olivia expresses her, I would call it disgust, but just like kind of frustration with, you know, attending this funeral and, and, you know, John Scott being remembered as some kind of, of hero who went down the line of action, uh, I'm sorry, in the line of duty that chafes her. And it kind of chafes us a little bit, I think, but Charlie's kind of like that, that source of wisdom here, right? He's just like, it's something you had to, we can't have another scandal. We can't let this out that what was really going on here. So you just get through it and move on. Right. And that kind of makes sense too. Well, it does, and and I guess that is the point that the bureau is just trying to whitewash, you know, what John Scott was all about. I, I guess still, I'm a little bothered with with the mother. Why on earth would the mother be looking at Olivia like that? Because we don't get the idea that Olivia would have done anything to jerk John around if the mother even knew about their relationship. So then it makes you start to wonder whether the mother has some sort of involvement or or knowledge of what the hell is going on here because i don't know that that just didn't make any sense to me at at this point in, unless the mother blames olivia for getting her son killed which well you know it's not it's not as if olivia gave the order to go look at that um you know storage unit that was somebody else so. Right. But I mean, you know, if Olivia does feel some measure of, of guilt, I mean, she was the one chasing him in the car when he got in an accident, was killed, right? So, Well, all that's true, I, right. You know, but, you know, should she feel – obviously, no, she couldn't. She was, she was chasing the bad guy, right? That's her job. So um, it was, you know, the, we don't put the responsibility of John Scott's death – on her at all, but if she feels some measure of guilt or responsibility, I mean, we could see in, in a way how that could possibly be a thing, you know? Yeah, yeah. Now, it, you know, we mentioned a few minutes ago the fact that every case has a tie back to Massive Dynamic, and you have to appreciate how cool Nina Sharp is in handling Olivia's confrontational attitude about this. It's like, Oh, absolutely. Here, uh, here, here's the file. If you need anything else, let me know. As the viewer, you have to wonder, well, is massive dynamic, this massive red herring that there's really no there there. And of course we have enough experience watching these kinds of shows to know, no, it's not a red herring, you know, okay. I can accept that, you know, maybe we could consider that, but what is it about massive dynamic what is its role in all of this you know are they simply investigating the pattern are they the cause of the pattern are they manipulating and controlling it which you know from a storytelling standpoint is perfect as we you know are still in the first quarter of this season so so that was certainly pretty cool and and then when broils goes to see nina and gives her that little uh you know, I don't know. It's not really ceramic. Uh, that the disc that you know was the source of all of this uh, action in this episode. She says, "I want nothing but the best for her." And and of course, as we said, you know, Broyles maybe is not quite so ready to take her at her word, but um, you know, whatever. And then, of course, that last scene that you mentioned that at the very end. They're extracting data from John Scott's body. See, that's what I was a little confused about at the, at the end there. I mean, it seems as if they're, they're, they were talking about those disks, I thought, as having some sort of encryption that her people had to break. And then talking about extracting data, and then we get the, the visual of John Scott. So are they right. extracting data from him or the disks? Or, or are they downloading data? Or are they downloading data? But from what? From the disks to John? From John? I, I don't know. I don't know. So that, that was a little confusing. I but, think. I, but the thing is, to, you know, already three episodes into the show, to see – a body of someone who had passed away apparently alive and in an incubator doesn't really surprise us at this point. <laughs> yeah. No, not at all. Like, oh, okay. He's not really dead. All right, that's fine. 
Especially when we know Walter experimented with reanimation in the past. And I think, I think reanimation is one of those things in the, uh, it is title sequence Uh scene. So, uh, you know, we, we certainly have to keep that in play for, for sure. But then the whole main story about the ghost network, which, you know, was cool on a lot of levels. I mean, I have a, couple of issues with it but but nothing major or significant um is that guy zach orth i think is the actor's name I've seen him in other things and and he was really good here and, and i love that opening scene where he's in confession with a priest and it, it becomes clear at the end of that scene that the priest knows this guy because he calls him by name as he's running out but he thinks the devil is communicating with him. And later in the episode, I, I don't remember if it was Olivia or Astrid that says, well, what were you supposed to think? You know? Yeah, right. And, you know, we, we get that this is an intelligent guy, so he's on the one hand aware enough to know that what I'm experiencing, I mean, it, it seems like a psychotic break. So, you know, what's going on with me? So you understand that, that, emotional you know, turmoil this guy must be experiencing sure. but right well especially the lack of understanding of why this is happening you know like what, what he tells uh astra i believe you know for him the most rational explanation was i'm going insane you know and that's that's crazy to be able to logically think oh well geez you know now that i rationally think about this it appears that i am you know, losing my mind. You know, it's that's uh, it's kind of crazy to think about that. Another thing is we've had two episodes where the very first scene started off in a post-sex hotel room, and the third one starts a confessional in church. So what does that say about the people who are writing this show? Nice. Yes. <laughs> uh, yeah, there's no question. There's no question. Now, they start to investigate you know this latest incident incident in uh, uh, the pattern looking at the bus and walter notices that they're like mosquitoes trapped in amber which again i i thought was really cool and, and takes me back to jurassic park and right and and the source of you know the, the park being able to recreate or reanimate dinosaurs with the dna that was trapped in amber but it doesn't appear as if that's where we're going with this specific incident at least it doesn't seem that way right and you know it's funny because peter says that they are like trying to send the message right that they're they're trying to get our attention but you know it's like why and why yeah, like like in the end, at least in the end of this episode, what was the point of killing all these people and killing them in this manner? Right when all they were were after was they the disc, bag, right? Right, they could hire some kid to like you know push her from behind, steal her bag, and run away on the street, right. or, know, or like, just grab her in her bag when yeah. she gets off the bus. But they certainly make a point about the bag. And then we get the scene where the guys are going through, Oh, it's not here. And one of them speaking a foreign language. Um, but the other cool thing they do with Roy is that, and it, it turns out to be kind of a combination in that he hears voices on this ghost network, but that, and they really only kind of make it clearer at the end, but apparently he sees things or as he says, I have to draw or, or build what I see. I mean, he doesn't really say what he sees. It's almost like he has a feeling and the only way to get rid of the feeling is to draw it, but it's not really clear if he sees it. And that's where I guess I got a little bit confused with the storytelling is that my understanding is that this ghost network is an, you know, an audio frequency. Now, maybe I'm wrong. I'm not. Well, a, well what, you know. what they say is that it's like this is his brain's interpretation of, of the information he's taking in. Um, okay. Like with the, the rabbit and the duck, right? That it's not oh, a rabbit right, nor a duck. Right. It's just your brain trying to make sense of the information it's being presented with. So I think that's what we're getting here with Roy is that you know he's hearing these sounds his brain is processing it by turning it into visual images 
Uh, good point. Right, right. Okay, good. Now, one of us is paying attention. <laughs> now, the fact that this woman is a DEA agent, are, are we supposed to make anything of that? I mean, we learned that she asked to be pulled out of her undercover operation, and, and we know that she's got the disc in her, you know, in her palm. So was her dea undercover operation a smoke screen for something related to the pattern or did she kind of stumble into this we don't really know um i guess since i missed the thing about the network that i missed something here as well <laughs> i don't think you did i i think we're really that one of the criticisms i might have for this episode which again don't get me wrong i, I like this episode a lot but one thing you say is that we don't really find out anything about these bad guys, right? They, True. like I said, they, as they kill a busload of people in order just to get a, a bag, which as we pointed out, could have gotten at by any number of other methods that would have not killed all kinds of people. They use phones, speak Latin, um, you know, and are part of this pattern. Olivia intercepts it. The guy kills himself. And then that, that's kind of like, we've learned nothing about these guys are what their deal is, what their motivation, what are they, you know, or anything. We see them. There's really just a handful of scenes that they're in in the first place. And so we really don't right. learn anything about them uh, except that, you know, they're up to some nefarious plan, we assume, and that involves this little disc. Right. So who they work for. Now, the one thing we do learn is that either they are so committed to their cause or whoever's above them is so terrifying that it's more uh, it's better to jump in front of a moving bus than to go back and face yeah y- your boss and tell him you don't have the disc so uh, i'm i'm not sure which is the actual answer here but yeah like you said we 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 don't know what it is about these discs and and who this third party is because i mean we know nina and Broyles are up to something and then we've we've got olivia's team and then you know this third party and i think it's fair to say there are probably more than just three parties involved in the pattern as we uh yeah for sure you know as we continue to investigate but but you know again i i love roy's drawings i love the fact that that they also bring in you know the the idea that he could he could build something as opposed to drawing it so that he's got the skills apparently to do both or are these just automatic skills that he, he doesn't know where the ability came from it just is pouring out right it's almost like uh you know like in uh, close encounters right when these yeah right right like, exactly the, when he the the, right. yeah, the model of the mountain or whatever right so is it automatic drawing or or what regardless it, it's cool I, I, and I, I really like that aspect it's pretty cool um, well, i mean just think about like how crazy it is for you know like when olivia and, and broils go to roy's apartment and he's got pictures of basically everything that they've been dealing with recently you know on his wall they say, oh, these are dated before. Well, I mean, anyone could draw a picture and date it afterwards, you know, like just because the date on the pictures before when the thing actually took t- place doesn't, doesn't really mean anything, but still pretty creepy to, to walk into that. Yeah, and I think we do have to look at the individual here, Roy, that we don't get the idea that he's predating things no. because he anticipates. Right. So, no. so, you know, then it gets back to Walter's first reaction to the situation is that roy might be psychic which of course is you know met with you know skeptical looks from from peter and i think at the end of the day however i still don't get how hearing these voices on the network you know talking about meeting at south station and all how that all translates into a predictive behavior. Um, and I'm not sure if I'm, I'm explaining that clearly no, enough. I, I, I gotcha. Um, so that maybe he, there is a psychic element to what Roy is able to do, that it's more than just picking up the frequencies of the ghost network. 
Right, because, yeah, that's what we see at the end of this episode. The ghost network is providing him with information that's happening right then, but not, yeah, yeah but it's not saying anything of where, he's not predicting anything there. But yet the other things that he saw, he saw before they happened. Um, yeah. So, yeah, like, right, because like you said, he's not, he's probably not posting them unless he like, oh, I just want to, tomorrow I'll add a little bit more shading to that picture. So maybe dated that now, but um yeah. Yeah, so so for, for sure, like it's, I would almost say that seems like it might be a fault of the show, and not necessarily some clever thing that they're doing, but they just kind of were a little bit maybe sloppier with this episode, and because the the in the end, it seems like they they tied things up maybe a little too quickly. And they came to a resolution a little bit too much. And I don't know if, if somehow my comments from last week went through a wormhole in time and J.J. Abrams got it back in 2008. And it's like, oh, dude, we got we to gotta cut down on this episode. Wayne didn't like it, you know, and everything. Well, I mean, I did like the last episode, but mm-hmm. I did mention that maybe there's a little bit too much coda on it. And, and this one, we have very little. It's just like the, it, it, it's, it, the episode, they find the bad guy, the bad guy kills himself. It was like a quick scene at the end, uh, really like scene and a half, I'd say, and then boom, we're done. So I don't know where I actually started off going with that. I've just lost my thread there somewhere. But Well, um, well I think, you know, you mentioned J.J. Abrams, and it, it takes me back to Carlton Cuse and Damon Lindelof and Lost and, and you know, the, the accusations from fans. Well, they're just making it up as they go along. Well, yeah, to a large extent, of course they are, because – you know, th- yes, they may have an end game. They they may know where they want to go, but so many things happen along the way. The writers learn their characters as well. Yeah, and you know they're they're not writing twenty episodes no. simultaneously. So yeah. you know, I, I think one of the things about this episode is that you know we have to accept that the writers are are learning their characters, and you know the fact that it is such a good episode. I think speaks highly of the writers. So, you know, we just have to let that go. Now, the one thing we talked before about the great lines that Walter seems to, to always get, and you almost run the risk of using it too often, going to the well too often. But my favorite one here is you, Walter wants to conduct an experiment to see whether he's psychic. Am I required to keep him alive? Uh, yeah, Walter, that would yes. be a good idea. <laughs> Peter yeah. says, and and again, you love whenever he says stuff like this. Watching Olivia's reaction because she's been with the with the uh, bishops long enough, I think, to know what it is she's gotten herself into. But still, it's uh, it, it's certainly new for her as well. Right. Well, um, you know, we see so much of like again this development of Walter as as a character is really kind of the one guy that the probably the most dynamic character in the show. But yeah, he, he his I, I wouldn't call him misanthropic, but just doesn't really he seems to be kind of immune to other people, you know. Like even when Roy is leaving and, you know, you know, basically Walter just performed brain surgery on him. And Roy says, thank you. And Walter says, you're welcome. But he doesn't even look at him. You know, he's like, I think he's at a file cabinet or something like that. So, you know, like, it's almost like that aspect of sympathizing or empathizing with other people. It's just not in Walter's wheelhouse. Now, Walter wants to turn Roy's brain into an audio receiver and, and, you know, as you said, converting, you know, some of these audio signals into visuals, minor brain surgery is going to be required. I'm going to need some equipment that is hidden in the wall of their old house. And and again, I love the scene when, when uh, Olivia and Peter go to the house, Olivia's you know, nobody's home. She's on her phone, going to call for permission. And Peter just breaks in and you got to look at her like, She's not sure exactly yeah. what to do. But right, you could be okay with this, Olivia. Like, and he's like, "Well, it's almost legal. I used to live here." You know, so, <laughs> uh, and then he asks her how she got into law enforcement. And on the one hand, 
it, you could interpret that as just a throwaway line, small talk, whatever. But but I think it's more than that. I I, I think. Look, number one, I mean, she's gorgeous. He's gorgeous. What, you, you know, it, it's like, is it just, you know, to get their relationship to the next level, learning a little bit about her? Is it just simply something to take her mind off the fact that they're breaking and entering? I don't know. But but I think it, it could turn out to be an important line. The fact that they're back in the old house I think was pretty cool. And of course he doesn't know where Walter hit it. I mean, he lived in this house. So I think he has some idea of what possibilities are. And I guess we assume that it was in that, you know, when he moved that bookcase away and, you know, we don't see him find it there, but you know, I think the next thing he's back at the lab and he's got this horrific looking headpiece that, that is going on. And, and, you know, Walter's just so nonchalantly, okay, little time for a little, intercranial whatever <laughs> well, i love walter goes uh this brings back some memories and peter goes of what <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> like yeah, what no the question. hell is this thing you've actually used this thing so yeah, yeah. That, that was that was cool a little trip down memory lane for peter there and i don't know why he didn't go to the dumb waiter for you know the hidden dumb waiter like that's a awesome place to to have something hidden that would probably be my first thought if he since he knew it was there but um but yeah that that line uh you know olivia asked him about his mother and he once again deflects right that's he did with walter before he's doing with olivia now that um you know peter doesn't like facing up to those you know to to not say he avoids responsibility because obviously he's taking a huge responsibility here of caring for his dad and trying to you know, make up for the things his dad's done before, but he, you know, the the messy things in life, like especially personal things, um, he doesn't really. It looks like he doesn't really let people in. You know. Yeah, and I think on the one hand, Peter's opinion of his father and what his father did to him as a child and to his mother and to them as a family is rapidly changing. Maybe for the worse. I mean, because I think what he's learning is that his father was involved in far more horrific research than he could have possibly thought. Yet, it somehow is bringing the two of them closer together, which, again, I find fascinating. And I think the the writers are just doing a brilliant job of, of developing those two characters and their relationship. The but And the thing about Roy... You think about what he's allowing Walter to do to him, yet, as he says, you know, the alternative was that I was going crazy. At least you're telling me there's a logical, albeit pretty freaky, (laughs) reason behind what's happened to me. So do what you got to do. I'm all in. And, And that last scene when he's got his head bandaged up and Again, while they don't have the criminals in custody, as they posit, well, they know we're on to them, so they're probably not going to use that network anymore. Yet, it does still leave the whole possibility open because they didn't extract whatever was in Roy's blood that apparently made him susceptible to receiving these signals. But regardless, another one of those kind of open-ended endings which, again, I, I certainly like. And then that, that last scene with Broyles when he calls Olivia in and, and their relationship has been pretty fraught with uh, conflict from the start. But I think we, we anticipated this was all one-sided, that he, that he had a plan of how he was going to bring Olivia Dunham into the fold. And... It, you ever smile, Dunham? And yeah, she doesn't much. <laughs> That's for sure. But yeah. there hasn't been a lot to smile about. Peter no. playing the piano there was certainly one time we get to see her smile. But he, he hands her a file on the shooter and then gives her files on the pattern cases. Let me know if you have any thoughts. And it's clear from her reaction, and certainly we react, that he's opening up. He's letting her in. She's she's met whatever the first 
level of requirements was, you know, we're, we're going to keep bringing you in. But as he said, look, I'll, I'll let you know what you need to know. But on the other hand, you understand her. Well, how can I make informed decisions if I only right. know what you think? Yeah. So it's, yeah. you know, we'll see. But uh, anyway, anything else uh, about this one that we haven't brought up? Well, just, you know, I mean, we, we just kind of said, you know, that this, whatever this conspiracy is, cuts pretty deep. Like, I mean, here we've got, you know, uh, FBI, DEA. I think Davidson, was he FBI, DEA? I don't know. Whatever. I mean, there's, there's probably, you know, these are, you know, government agents that are involved somehow with this whole pattern. We we don't see it. And I guess that's kind of like we're, again, aligning us with Olivia, how we see how there's bad things out there. We are told that they're interrelated, but right now we we can't see the pattern, right? There is a pattern. We just don't know what that pattern is, but it's pretty – cuts pretty deep into a lot of, you know, aspects of of the, you know, the government and, and, and just like American life in general, I guess. Yeah, and I guess it's not really even important which agency these people work for. The fact that it's one of the three-letter uh, acronyms uh, is all that's important. It takes me back to the Americans and what the goal for their daughter was to get her into the FBI right. as as an agent, as some sort of a sleeper agent. All right. Anything else before we get to the feedback? I don't think so. Okay. Well, Gail sent in feedback again this week. And what she says is that this episode was more monster of the week. Still some great tidbits to consider. Uh, titled the ghost network and she brings up the fact that there are many ghosts that uh, are at play in this episode the interconnected ghosts from walter's past make a comeback peter's past is coming back to haunt him olivia still haunted by john betraying her and then the mostly dead john is passing on his accumulated knowledge from the beyond you know, she brings up the diner scene, which we talked about, and, and Walter seems a little better. And this is where she brings up the fact that the three medications that Walter mentions aren't really antipsychotics. You know, Prozac mm-hmm. is one of them for depression. And that uh, despite what Peter says, none of these are antipsychotics. However, they are complex substances Walter can casually homebrew. I guess Walter has a cold, but Walter needs the other two medicines because you see his hands shaking. He has odd movements in his head and face at times. Movement disorders are a common side effect of antipsychotic medications, which he undoubtedly was given for 17 years. Walter's not treating psychotic illness. He's treating the side effects of having been medicated and institutionalized. And that makes perfect sense. And, and again, whether the writers just didn't research not sure Uh, the nod to walter's genius in chemistry is later paid off when walter's able to analyze and identify the compound used to case these people in that amber-like substance the only way peter can help to get walter a piano is so that he can hear box mass in a minor and that's something we'll address in the spoiler section Uh Uh, We later meet poor Roy, who remembers Walter, but doesn't remember where he knows him from. And that's 17 years or maybe even longer. That's completely understandable. Roy's probably put on some weight. He's got a big beard now, and, and, you know, Walter's much older. Roy had the great misfortune to take part in a college psychology experiment that Walter was running. Walter tells Peter he didn't give Roy enough iridium to cause his apparent psychic abilities, and that more must have come from the environment. Where did that extra iridium come from? Or more likely, who dosed Roy with iridium to that level? And and Walter brings up the fact that somebody has taken his research and continued it. So whether Roy, you know, w- was um, you know impacted by some other researcher or scientist, we don't know, but. You know, it seems likely it seems more likely than just it was something in the environment that caused it to expand. But again, uh, you know, if Fred maybe can address that from a science perspective more certainly more than I can. Mostly dead John Scott. John's funeral, see his mother give Olivia the stink eye. And as we said, 
does she know something? Otherwise, it just doesn't seem to make sense. Uh, we see Nina bring the clear data crystal to the scientist who's working on John, and we see the information in John's brain is in the process of being downloaded into their computer. One wonders if the chip in John's brain is the same chip as the one Nina gave the scientist. And, and yeah, that, that's a huge question at this point, as we were discussing earlier about the, the confusion surrounded what was actually taking place in that scene. Uh, what information do they hope the new chip will help them access? And then she says, did you notice when Olivia opens the lab door, Walter's lab is eight, uh, I'm sorry, B314.1, which is pi with the decimal point moved two digits over. Walt, uh, William Bell's name scratched off the door. No, I didn't notice either of those I for sure. I did not notice either of those at all. And this time, catch, you know, my, yeah, my excuse last week was that we're taking notes. So, you know, we missed things. But this time I made sure to look at every little detail. Nina's teeth are a normal color now. In the first episode, they were as yellow as Cruella de Vil. I definitely didn't notice that. I did not catch that, no. Are we meant to start trusting her just a little? Might also believe when she says, I only want the best for Olivia. Some bonding time, as we said, between Peter and Walter. Uh, Now, her quote of the week was from Charlie. I wasn't going to tell you this, but he said he loved me too. That was great. And and that was a good, you know, it was perfectly placed, uh, and thus begins my segment on Charlie is the best. Well, uh, Gail, I'm going to have to disagree with you there. I, Charlie still annoys me, but... Ah, I love Charlie. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> so uh, anyway, she's also got some stuff we'll uh, address in the spoiler zone. So Gail, thank you for that feedback, and we'll address some of the other things you've got for us uh, in the spoiler zone. All right, well, let's hear what Fred's got for us this week, and we will be right back. Hello, Dave and Wayne, and all listeners to Sci-Fi TV Rewards. This is Fred from the Netherlands with some feedback for Fringe, Season 1, Episode 3. Whoa, again, a crazy episode. I mean, for the science, really, really very far-fetched. But if you are going to expect this more and more, and as Wayne said, get used to it, it's, it's fun. It's good. The personal interactions getting interesting. So that's actually all quite good. There was no follow up on the three clones or were they clones? Although this episode ends again with a guy in a kind of incubator. In this case, it's John Scott. Of course, scientifically very crazy, but as idea, it was quite nice from gas form in this bus to a kind of amber state where these people got in a solidified kind of stuff. What I found a little weak in the end, it, that the signals that this Roy receives are just signals by a mobile phone or something. I would have expected another kind of fancier kind of communication device or whatever. So the way he was receiving it was quite fancy and peculiar, whereas the devices they use to communicate and send were just quite simple. I would have expected something more complex there. Big question, of course, is what kind of trouble Peter is in, because when he is in the restaurant with Walter, he goes to the bar and say, and the guy says to him, you should have reported when you get back into the country. And he takes the chip out of the camera, etc. So what does this mean? Of course, we get a little hint about Peter's mother. It's when he goes to his old house, he is discussing that with Olivia, but he doesn't say anything about it, but stops the discussion in the sense of that's a topic for another time. So... Looking forward to that, especially looking forward who would be the woman that would be married to Walter. What kind of woman is that? Is she still alive? And if yes, is there a big argument between Walter and her? Why doesn't he look for her, for instance, or ask about her if she's still alive? What the heck? Why is this Roy suddenly talking in Latin? I didn't understand it, why that was. And what I didn't understand either, or what is perhaps a nitpick, is that Olivia suddenly realized that that guy took a kind of chip out of this 
woman's corpse, but when she is staying there in the morgue and she sees the cuts in the hand palm, she also gets a kind of flashback or vision about taking this chip out of the hand palm. Is that just for us? Is that just that we see what happened? It gives the impression that Olivia has that vision. Why? Didn't understand it. Did you? Or can you explain it? I found it a little peculiar. Okay, I think this will be all for now. Today is uh, Christmas Day. I hope you had a nice meal for the Dutch coach of your daughter, Wayne. Okay, till next time. Greetings. All the best. Fred from the Netherlands. Oh, my God. What's wrong? I believe with proper demodulation, you could receive satellite television for free. Okay, fun time's over. Astrid, let's get him unhooked. Yeah, I agree with what Fred says about how the bad guys were using this network, unless their phones were somehow calibrated to the ghost network and that frequency, which, you know, I guess if you're you know, sophisticated enough scientifically to do that, I, I guess that would make sense. And that's the other thing, you know, one of the issues I th- think with movies and TV shows that have been made in the last 30 years is the technology that we see cell phones in particular. I remember the first X-Files, you know, with the cell phones, they get these big honking cell phones. Yeah, and, yeah. and of course, you know, now everybody's got, uh, well, smartphones but no go ahead uh, i would say in this case i don't think it's the the devices are are important as you said it's this network that they're using and they're just you know the devices are just tuned into this network so I, I granted it is kind of lame that it was you know in the end it was just you know uh roy interpreting their their cell phone calls and everything um but yeah i think it's the, the really the object of the the supernatural not supernatural but the you know, the weird thing of this week is is the network itself and not the devices they use fred points out the fact that roy is talking in latin and in retrospect i'm not sure about that either you're you're on a frequency that theoretically nobody knows about why would you be speaking in latin i mean it's almost like you feel the need to speak in some sort of a code so i'm not sure where that comes from and so fred yeah i agree with you and then he also points out about olivia having that vision or flashback to the chip and and the extraction scene you know where where anderson what's his name i can't remember his name is it anderson or am i just davidson anderson thomas anderson mr anderson you know we he says he's going to go in and identify the body not sure why he couldn't do that from behind the glass but whatever so whether you know she has some kind of precognition or or whether it's just a standard flashback that's kind of what i thought it was just a a flashback her now now knowing what she knows she's kind of replaying that scene i I, I think that's exactly what happened like when she you know she's from her perspective right she was involved with agent scott davidson shows up seems very emotional over i can't remember the woman's name but over his colleague's death and you know of course maybe we're half thinking well was he emotionally involved with her and from olivia's angle we see him kind of like pick up her 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 hand in what at the time we think is maybe this kind of tender gesture and then later once she sees roy's picture i think she just kind of puts it all together so we just see her processing all this information and figuring out oh wait a second you know peter's pictures are like predictive right so this picture of the dark-haired woman with her her hands bleeding oh he wasn't picking up her hand you know out of you know love or tenderness he was picking it up because he was getting something out of her hand so yeah i don't think she was having a vision i think she was just processing the information figuring it out right but i think we have to consider the fact that Nina and Broyles are so focused on Olivia clearly as more than just a very accomplished FBI agent. So still, I agree with you that just a flashback rather than anything else. So 
All right. Anything else about Fred's feedback you want to well, bring up? Just he he was one. Fred was wondering how because I asked him for some oh right right Dutch right. dishes, and as it turned out, uh, my daughter's coach uh, the day before New Year's Eve, not, sorry, New Year's Christmas Eve, had gone hiking with a friend, and then on Christmas Eve, the friend tested positive for COVID, so she mm-hmm. ended up not coming over yet. So, oh. um, so maybe later this week she'll come by. Will I experiment with Dutch food at that moment? That is yet to be seen. I'll keep you filled in, Fred, whether I do or not. All right, cool. All right, well, let's get to the spoiler zone. And as we say each week, if you have not seen the entire series, stop listening now unless you want to be spoiled. And, yeah, some people might, you know, like that. You know, there are people that go out and read the last page of a novel first. I'm not one of them, but nope. you know, I, I really didn't have anything that I wanted to bring up for the spoiler zone. There was one point that that Gail brings up that that I was going to bring up, but d- do you have anything you want to throw out there? Well, first? this time I did catch the observer. I saw him on the train when Olivia's walking by. Very quick, so I don't blame myself for missing him in the previous episode. But obviously, now we're going to have to be on observer watch. I think that that we see these guys in, in every episode. And, of course, they are going to be a, play a big part, especially in, in Season 5. You know, I guess, you know, uh, with Peter's mom, you know, we know that, that she committed suicide, I believe. And so, obviously, Peter would be reluctant to dwell on that. You know, we talk about him not really wanting to, to let people in and everything. That's probably an extremely painful, well, not probably, obviously, an extremely painful thing for him to think about, not something he wants to really talk about very much. Well, right. And the reason she does it, you know, we understand how complex that issue is because, you know, we, we talked last time about she realizes this is not her son. Right. And yeah. that, that certainly plays a big role in, in that. Now, he, of course, has no idea. What else? Um, well, you know, we couldn't talk when we were talking about someone to watch over me. We couldn't talk about during the regular discussion. And Gail brings it up as well that that really, yeah, talking about Nina, but probably more talking about the observers who are here uh, watching, literally watching over Olivia. So, um, right now, here's here's my question about that, and, and I think you're absolutely right, as, as Gail also points out. At what point do the observers cease to be? you know, fodder for the spoiler zone. And I, I almost was going to message, and I still might message Daryl, at what point did you start noticing them? Or do we wait to that episode when it's actually revealed who they are and what they are? And then it's like, then you go back and it's like, oh, there he is in this episode. There, he, you know, I wonder, right. again, what came first, the chicken or the egg? Yeah, so, well, they definitely, I, I do remember them. I think they call them the creepy bald guy, maybe. And okay. they started just calling him like CBG, and they would just refer okay. to him that. So it was definitely a thing, I think, early on in the podcast where they noticed this creepy bald guy, but they didn't know. And they, you know, they had the acronym for him and everything. So, okay. so I, maybe we'll consider pointing it out in those terms that, hey, this is something you, you should start watching for without yeah, the explanation. Yeah, right. And okay. it's, it's tough because, you know, we know the significance of that, but also obviously they're there to like for if you're paying attention, you're noticing, right? You know, you know, you would have noticed the the, the scene before. Uh, I think it's even more pronounced here. You know, you see that guy, so you're like, oh yeah, what is there? There's this the same guy. He's popping up all over the place, and it, so it's a thing. I think we can start talking about it. It's definitely a thing. Yeah. Um, all right. Anything else? No, I don't think so. You know, the, the you know, you know, Gail pointed out about box. You know, Walter does say the mass in A minor when, in actually, in this world, the box is mass in, in B minor. She doesn't think Walter's making a mistake. The only thing is that you know, Walter isn't from the other world. He's from this world, so he would know it as the mass in B minor, and not he. He wouldn't know it from the alternate universe. He he was only in the alternate universe long enough to grab Peter and come back, right? Yeah, that's a good point. Um, Still, it it doesn't explain why he would say A minor unless it gets to her second point, 
which is Peter calling out how bad Walter's memory is. He's forgotten Astrid's name a hundred times, and obviously yeah. that's going to be a huge part of uh, his character. But as she says, they're doing a great job showing that Walter has very focal memory damage while the rest of his intellect is clearly not affected. Right, right, So right. from episode two, they've been planting the seeds to the reveal that Walter ultimately makes, that he removes part of his brain to hide what he knows even from himself. Right, yes. Yeah, that definitely and, seems like that probably is what right. that plays to. Right. So, and, and as she says, it turns out he agreed with Klaus from the last episode. Nobody should know what Walter knows, and right. and I, I mean that's just such a a awesome way to you know construct that that aspect of the story. It still doesn't answer about the box mass in A minor, as, as you're saying. He, he he spent such a brief time in the other world. How could he? That doesn't seem as if something he would have learned over there right. unless again unless there's something we're forgetting that that was which is certainly possible it's very uh, likely yeah, i think but, i you uh, know after i watched this i did have parts of my brain removed as well so yes absolutely but uh anyway gail great stuff again as usual and uh as she says don't volunteer for any psych experiments yeah, too late <laughs> too late <laughs> really actually i conducted a few um did you have a, I have a degree in psych as well. That's Not right. That I, I, re- I reused that. Yeah, yeah. it. But uh, you want to leave it there or any any final comments? Uh, no, I think we're good. Okay. Sounds good. Uh, that will do it for this episode of Sci-Fi TV Rewatch. Thank you for joining us. Love to hear what you think about Fringe and any leftover ideas about Foundation, anything going on in your genre world. Join the Facebook group if you haven't already. You can reach us via email at sci-fi TV rewatch at gmail.com. We'll be back next week to talk about episode four of season one of Fringe, but until then. So it's actually, I was reading an article about how, like, you know, you're ex- getting spoilers on a show like this can actually have physiological effects on your body. So just putting it out there, you're fairly warned that if you are just watching Fringe, Fringe for the first time, don't listen to the spoiler zone because you may also experience an involuntary bowel movement.